and he uh, he rolls up at that one the, that one Sarah Connor's house, and he knocks on the door, and the chick and the woman answers. He's like Sarah Connor, and she says yes, and he blows her away. That's her. That's the first Sarah Connor. Yeah. guys, welcome to the Video Express, where we dust off old VHS tapes and discuss all things horror, sci-fi, and exploitation. I am Matt. I'm Katie. Katie, let's tell our fine listeners what movie we're spotlighting on tonight's episode of part two of Jill Sholin Month. Well, we are we are slithering through this lovely month with... Oh, that was so bad. I'm sorry. I had to no, do it. No, no, uh, no, we are talking on. about Curse 2. <laughs> We are talking about Curse 2, The Bite, from 1989, directed by Fred Goodwin, a.k.a. Federico Prosperi. And let me tell you, if, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you've never heard of this movie and you're thinking, huh, should I, should I see the Curse 1 to know what's going on in this movie? The answer is absolutely freaking not. This has nothing to do with anything. It is just a movie on its own that got Curse stamped onto it, which we will explain later. But yeah, we're, we're in for a good time tonight. Yeah, uh, you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you say just stamped on there. Because um, it's got nothing <laughs> to do with the first curse but uh you know we'll, we'll talk about more about that in a little bit but katie why don't you tell us what's going on today in the cinema world we are currently celebrating the 32nd anniversary of toxic avenger part two woo toxie his voyage into tokyo probably my uh my second uh second or third favorite of the uh, the toxie franchise but happy happy anniversary to toxie and Toxic Avenger Part 2. Happy birthday, Toxie. What else you got right. for it? Okay, so I have three things to talk about today. And um, they're not all super new, but they're more like you may have missed this. So, because there's a lot of stuff coming out. So the first one is uh, the newest one. And this is a, a series on Netflix called Sweet Home. And this is a South Korean horror series, and it's about it's just about monsters. It's got some of the coolest monster effects I've seen. Um, I will say, as a fan of practical effects, I will give the caveat that, that a lot of it is CG, but it is done really well. And basically, it is a show about an apartment building, a group of people that live in this apartment building, and the entire world is faced with a, a monster zombie outbreak. And to kind of explain that, that basically means people are just spontaneously turning into hideous monsters and killing everybody. So there's, you know, there's some good character development and a little more depth to that story. But if you just want to see some really cool monsters, definitely check it out. Um, You know, and if you're if you're not the subtitle reading type, I'm pleased to report that it has a really, really good English dub um, if you prefer to do that. So definitely check out Sweet Home on Netflix. 
And then the second thing is another Netflix series. Um, I went Netflix. I went almost all Netflix this time when last time was all Shutter. Uh, this is a series on Netflix called Marianne, and this is another uh, one from overseas. This is uh, a French. Uh, horror series it's one of the scariest freaking things I've ever seen in my life like it is absolutely legitimately terrifying really and it's about a, a it's about an author she's a horror author who's gotten famous writing a series about an evil witch named Marianne and come to find out this is based on her own true experiences fighting this witch as a child and she discovered that if she wrote about her she would stop bothering her basically so it's a series about that and it's very scary so yep definitely check that one out too nice. and then the final one is a d- definitely our listeners will be into this one if you haven't already seen it definitely put it on your shutter queue right now and that is bliss uh it's directed by joe bagos and it came out in i believe 2019 And it's about an artist in L.A. who is working on, I guess, her her masterpiece, like this this painting. And it's causing her a lot of turmoil because she's lost all inspiration. And she's really into drugs and partying. And she starts doing some crazy new drug called Bliss. And all hell kind of breaks loose from there. And it's got this crazy, like, punk rock soundtrack and beautiful lighting and visuals is all shot on 16 millimeter film it's so badass and fun so yep that that would be my final recommendation of the day nice yeah i've uh i keep coming across bliss uh on shutter and like i keep getting ready to, to you know click the button to watch it and then of course i get fucking sidetracked so yeah i have to definitely check that out <laughs> yeah it's definitely worth it's worth a watch it's you'll you'll definitely like it matt if you haven't seen it cool uh, well, thank you, Katie, very much for the recommendations. Um, but now let's, uh, let's, as you said, slither our way over to talking about tonight's movie, which is part two of Jill Sholin month, Curse 2, The Bite, of course, uh, again, starring Jill Sholin, J. Eddie Peck, Jamie Klinger Farr, and Bo Svensson. Katie, tell me and our listeners what you thought of Curse 2, The Bite. This movie, I, you know what? I actually did have a lot of fun watching this movie. So I don't, I definitely, I don't want to go into it bashing it. There are definitely some things to discuss, which we will get into. But overall, I thought this was really fun. And I was, I, and I feel like I say that about every movie. It's just fun. I have fun watching movies. (laughs) But it, you know, it, I think, it reminds me of something that I would have come across like on TV late at night, you know, or that I might've like just seen at the video store and had no idea what it was and just checked it out. And so I'm really surprised that I didn't like somehow stumble across this already. So it felt like I was like uncovering this like gem, right. this relic lost to time. Cause I feel like I've never heard anybody talk about this movie, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, that being said, I thought, um, you know, I thought the, the effects really are are they really shine in this movie they're really the main character of this movie um you know there's some interesting plot points some interesting characters here and there's some really funny moments actually too that we'll talk about but i think this is really just a a grand display of of practical effects absolutely yeah it's uh it's it's like you said it's, it's one of those movies that um I mean, like, like me, like I did watch this on, um, like late night cable television as a kid. 
Uh, it was definitely not a movie that was uh, was championed, um, but it was just, you know, one of those kind of, I don't want to say seedy movies, because it's not a seedy movie, but it just kind of, back then, you know, early, early 90s, you know, when I was like 10 years old, staying up late, you know, it was one of those movies you would just kind of stumble across and stick with it. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 I don't want to say it's unheard of, but it's, you know, we talked about last episode, Popcorn, uh, with Jill Sholin being uh, kind of an unsung cult movie that's just not really talked about a lot. This movie, even more so, you never hear people talk about, uh, to talk about this film. The first one, uh, you know, the first one, we're not going to talk about a whole lot because again, this movie is completely fucking different. This is an in name only sequel, but I will say that the first one being uh, te- technically an HP Lovecraft adaptation. Um, even then, you know, starring a, a young Will Wheaton, that movie's hardly talked about. And so then this, this, you know, yeah. weird ass sequel, even more so has kind of just been kind of buried with time. So uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why when putting together our schedule, you know, when I knew I wanted to do a little spotlight on Joel Sholin, I was looking through the list of movies and I was like, fuck it, we're going to do Curse too because nobody talks about this crazy little shit movie. Yeah, I think it's good that you brought up that even, you know, even Popcorn, which is a relatively unheard of movie, has a cult following. Like, there are people that like Popcorn. Like, I I have at least seen that, you know, talked about online in various, like, horror communities and whatnot. But, like, I don't know if Curse 2 even has a cult following. Maybe it does. I hope it does. I feel like everything should. So I hope that there's, like, somebody out there, perhaps somebody listening that's, like, Curse 2 is my favorite fucking movie of all time. That's what I I hope. So if you feel that way, um, definitely let us know. <laughs> you know, I, I love I love what you just said because it reminds me of something that Stan Lee once said about comic books. And uh, he he said that every com you know every comic book is somebody's first comic book. And that really hit home because you never know what what person is, is putting their, their fingers on what comic book for the first time. And I feel the same way about movies. And I, I feel the same way. That, that's why, you know, on, on our show, I want to spotlight the, this type of movie. This kind of unheard of, weird, obscure type of movie from the 80s and 90s and stuff like that. Because I hope there is someone out there that's like, fuck yeah, Curse 2 is fucking badass. Now, the chances of ever running into this person is yeah. fucking next, you know, that's slim pickings. But I hope that person does exist because... <laughs> That's the kind of people that I want to meet. <laughs> That's the kind of people I want to talk to is, is people that love yeah. this type of movie. Yeah, I want to be friends with somebody who is obsessed with Curse too. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of there's a lot about this movie that is worth praising. Um, I think that and even the stuff that isn't quite as good, I don't think there's anything and this is just my personal opinion, but I wouldn't say that anything in this movie is just outright bad like poorly made or poor like like bad filmmaking necessarily like there's some wonky moments but nothing took me out of it completely where i was like oh that's bad like it wasn't like howling three ridiculous you know (laughs) well all right so so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna agree with you that nothing is you know outright terrible in this movie there are to me some scenes that just kind of comes across as like they just they just happen you know, it's like it, this scene happened, yeah. <laughs> and then like the next scene is just moves moves along. Um, I, I think the the biggest probably 
problem with the movie is I, I feel like maybe there was some stuff that was lost in translation. Um, and that's it. You know, nothing, like you said, nothing bad, nothing yeah. outright terrible, just some moments and choices that I believe were lost in translation. Yes. And, you know, I, I want to get into each of the characters and kind of how they work in this story, but I think we should maybe just give kind of a quick overview. Thankfully, this is a very simple plot, so <laughs> I can I think I can tackle this one. You go for uh, it. But essentially, a, a young couple, a young couple is on a road trip and they encounter a bunch of snakes which they hint at perhaps are snakes that are being like fucked with by the government or mutated by the government like dumping radiation yeah they're like radioactive snakes in the desert and uh you know the boyfriend gets bit and they go to a hotel where this guy just happens to be there and he's like i'm a doctor who specializes in snake venom and he offers him uh the anti-venom and then as they drive away he goes oops a daisy i gave him the wrong anti antidote antivenom and goes on this grand chase to try to to save him meanwhile he begins to change and mutate and his hand that got bit turns into an evil horny snake head i think that about covers it that that pretty much covers it um i was really hoping though that when you said uh two uh young couple on a road trip i was ho- hoping you're gonna say a road trip in yellow sands oh <laughs> yeah they're the, i don't even know <laughs> there's some characters in this movie uh, so the, the the our main characters uh, Lisa and Clark, um, they stop at a gas station at the in like the first two minutes of the movie, where there's like a red you know a creepy gas station guy basically redneck guy who uh, who does the the age old warning of don't go down that road and he tells them uh, not to go to Yellow mm-hmm. Sands, which is uh, the area where I he's the harbinger the, he's the harbinger <laughs> of doom, uh, don't go to Yellow Sands because he doesn't come out and say it but we're led to believe that yellow sands is like a, like some kind of radioactive, maybe nuclear test site. Uh, because, you know, in the first like two seconds, we see guys in like hazmat, hazmat suits rounding up some snakes and putting them in containers and shit. So that's pretty much the only real exposition we get into like what the fuck's going on. Um, but yeah, you know what? I, I want to. Yeah. The, the rest is just him changing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, no, I mean, this, this is what this is. This is a full-on discussion. Uh, so maybe you can enlighten it a little bit. I mean, this is probably, I watched it earlier today. It's probably the 10th time I've, I've watched this movie. Um, so maybe you can help me understand, because maybe I just don't pay attention. And, I, and again, I'm like four margaritas deep right now. So maybe things aren't firing. <laughs> maybe things aren't firing on, on every cylinder like they should be. It's definitely a slow night at the video store. It's we got the margarita night, machine out. Fucking, <laughs> it's slow as shit. Nobody's renting anything tonight. Um, yeah. So, so, all right. So, so we've got like this minor exposition, right? Uh, that there's possibly like radioactive shit going down in, in this uh, this desert place of yellow sands where there's like maybe radioactive snakes or whatever, right? And so the the snake gets into uh, Lisa and Clark's vehicle. And ends up biting Clark on the hand, right? And then, like you said, Clark mm-hmm. Clark's hand starts to mutate into a horny, slithering snake monster. 
but then uh jamie farr's character who was his doctor um that has got this this anti-venom stuff that he's trying to you know that he gives he gives clark and then realize it's the wrong thing so they, that almost comes across as like the shit that he gave him is also the reason that we're getting horny mutated snake monster hand so I, I'm, I'm not too sure yeah. what 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 what's going on is it is he mutating because of the radioactive snake or is he mutating because of the weird anavenom that was given or does one go go hand in hand with the other so that's a really good question that i also had watching this movie so when when they roll up to the hotel everybody in this movie outside of the main characters seem weirdly suspicious like they all seem like they know that there's fucking radioactive snakes everywhere but nobody feels like just saying hey buddy you might be want to be careful. There's fucking radioactive snakes everywhere. Nobody says that. They're just like, I wouldn't go out there if I were you. Ain't nobody around for miles. And so there's kind of that vibe happening. Uh, I do think that there is something inherently wrong with the snake. But it. I also sort of started to get the feeling that the antidote that he was given had a had a poor reaction with with the like with the venom and it somehow like mutated and i'm trying to remember now if that's somehow glossed over in the doctor's like monologue in the hospital later when she's like saying everything that 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 like how this works basically but i don't know i i i do think that maybe he is having like this reaction is was exasperated by the or a exaggerated by the the antidote that he was given exasperated would have worked as well because because <laughs> this plot just just because <laughs> i was exasperated yeah. just trying to <laughs> fucking explain that yeah so like you know as, as a kid all i remember was the the snake bite um causing that and then tonight when i watched it again i was just like oh shit uh, jamie farr is really worried about this giving him the wrong anti-venom like what do, what is this? What does one have to do with the other? Uh, I, I I I get that that's a plot device, you know, used to I guess get Jamie Farr's character more involved in in the in the plot. But uh, I don't really know if it was necessarily needed because they could have just left it at, you know, ambiguous radioactive snake bite turns man's hand into horny mutated snake monster. I I agree to an extent because they could have just used some of that extra time to just have more monster gags because that's probably one of my main complaints is that like most of the really crazy shit is like in the last 15 minutes of this movie mm -hmm. and everything else is just like them driving around and like Jill Sholin's playing guitar which honestly I could watch for two hours but but <laughs> aside from that uh you know, I think the I think the whole subplot with like the antidote and him trying to get to it, it 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 at least added something more to this plot if they weren't going to have more monster stuff. Because right. if they didn't have that whole fun, like the, we wouldn't have got that hilarious like subplot with like the trucker convoy all looking for them and like oh, all those God. interesting characters, which are great. I, it's like one of my favorite parts of the movie. So I think if we hadn't had that, like a there would have been no like comedic relief to this movie i just for for various reasons comedic relief being one of them i think it would have made the movie like really boring like maybe i'm totally, I'm totally on board with you i'm totally on board with you about that it's um i'm not saying that jamie farr 
should not have continued in this movie and and you know done that whole yeah. one down. I just think the reasoning behind it should have been different. I think maybe just throw out the whole like right shit. I forgot I gave him the wrong antivenom and just made it more of like you know he realizes something is like he's mutating. Like maybe he finds like a blood sample and he's like, well, this is this isn't right, and you know something like that. But the whole like wrong antivenom yeah. thing was just kind of kind of off. But um, no, I, I, I it's like I a, agree. it's kind of like a cartoon. It was like a little Looney Tunes. It was like, oh, whoopsies, yeah. swapped the bottles. Like my bad, got to go on this like slapstick chase across the road. I think it would have been a lot more interesting if they had just stayed at that mo, if that at that motel, and we had just been introduced to like the cast of characters that are all staying in the motel as this guy yeah. downstairs is like mutating and potentially starting to kill everyone. That would have been a lot stronger than this like chase road movie. I was thinking that while I was watching and I was like, man, this would have really been a cool movie had they uh, blended it a little bit with like Toby Hooper's uh, Eaten Alive, where, it, you know, all, all the action takes place in this in this hotel. And maybe, you know, uh, Clark's arm continues to mutate and like every night, like he sneaks out of bed and and kills off a, a new victim in, in one of the hotel rooms. You could you really play it up with it and could have had a really high body count like that. And like, you know, somebody like trying to figure out, you know, it's got to be one of the guests and like, it could have been really fucking cool. Not that this movie isn't fun. Exactly. But yeah, they could have done a lot with that. Uh, also, I want to say that you really hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that uh, our, our main characters of Lisa and Clark are very, you know, they're they're in this group of people that seem to be completely different. And you're right. And you said Looney Tunes. It's almost as if Lisa and Clark are like normal earth beings that are stuck in like a world of Looney Tune characters all of a sudden because you brought up the whole <laughs> yeah they, they, <laughs> you brought up the whole convoy thing a while ago and I that, that part just makes me fucking howl and laughter every time because it literally for like a, a hot minute turns into Smokey and the Bandit part two it's it's amazing and I think what I find most like hilarious about that whole thing is like so what's his name? Jamie Farr, the, the doctor, he's like on his way yeah, to yeah, he's like urgently like, I got to save this guy. I got to save this guy. And it's not even like I got to save this guy. It's like I got to save this guy so his family doesn't sue me or put, I get thrown in jail for manslaughter. Right. And it's like this really urgent task. But he had enough time to stop for a little afternoon delight with that one trucker lady, <laughs> which I find hilarious. So so this is what I really find hilarious. You know who that trucker lady is? She looked so familiar, but I couldn't. I don't know who she is. Uh, are you Are you familiar with the the first Terminator movie? A little, yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it. All right, so you know, you know how uh, you know Arnold's Arnold's mission in the first Terminator movie is to kill Sarah Connor. So when he when he arrives in, in right. 1984, he goes through the the phone book looking for Sarah Connors, and he uh, he rolls up at that one the, that one Sarah Connors house and he knocks on the door and the chick and the woman answers. He's like Sarah Connor. And she says, yes. And he blows her away. That's her. That's the first Sarah Connor. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. That's lovely. Um, He's, she was a real scene stealer. I kind of, they could have used her more and I wouldn't have complained. She was very funny. She was funny. And it was weird that um, like she continued to like be in the movie. Like you kind of feel like, oh, she's a trucker. She's a funny trucker. Then. Oh, she's a love interest to to Klinger's character, and then like she keeps showing up, and then the next thing you know, she is standing beside Klinger, 
at the very end of the movie, it's just like, holy shit, this this weird ass fucker yeah. lady just fucking somehow became a uh, another character in this entire. She movie. just became a yeah an ensemble character. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so many weird things that happen in this movie. I want to bring up uh, one one thing that really tickles me, and I, I can't believe I just said tickles. And I'm the person who edits these episodes, <laughs> and I'm gonna have to keep that in because I uh, fuck it. The one thing that really yeah you have to now. <laughs> <laughs> so I love how this movie has not one creepy gas station harbinger, but two creepy gas station. Yes. Harbingers. <laughs> like these motherfuckers, like we're gonna That's one up so everybody. Good. We're putting in a second creepy gas station with a second fucking harbinger. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, Al Fan. Al Fan, who was basically in every television, he appeared in at least one episode of every television show from 1970 until like fucking 1999. Al Fan is in fucking everything. But uh, he he shows up at, at our second gas station, which is much more creepy, much more Texas Chainsaw Massacre-ish, um, and does even more of our, our warning of, of snakes and shit. And he, he proceeds to tell our lead character of Clark that... Uh, he lost his best friend, a.k.a. his dog, to a snake bite, only for our character of Clark to discover the dog is actually not dead. The dog is shackled up in the goddamn basement of this creepy gas station, and the dog has mutated into this monstrous, creepy snake creature. Snake um, dog. But now, you know what? Say, saying that, uh, Katie reminds me, obviously it was the snake bite that created... Uh, Clark's mutated. Oh, there you go. Because yep. it did that to the dog, um, then it, it must be the bite. That that which means so that antidote didn't do shit. That, it didn't matter what no, antidote he got. No. It it took me fucking like rationalizing and, and talking about it to to realize what the fuck was going on. But yeah, it's the radioactive snake bite that causes the mutation. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, that snake dog is terrifying is it, and hilarious at the same time somehow uh, you know what i i felt three emotions um i thought it was you know kind of <laughs> three emotions and again that's because i was probably drinking margarita. well we do contain multitudes so <laughs> yeah so is it just me or i i felt a little bit creeped out because it is kind of gross looking at first like when it, when you don't fully see it you know when, when it's peeking out it's like ooh, yeah and then when it, like it fully pops out it's kind of goofy looking but also, like, it's fucking yeah. heartbreaking. Like, I, I was a little bit heartbroken. I know. Because, like... It, I felt sad for the little dog. I, yeah, exactly. It's like whimpering at first before it, you know, spoilers fucking bites out the throat of, uh, of Al Fan's character. I don't know. It's kind of sad. I don't know. I feel like I, I thought... I thought... I wonder... It's like one of those things that if this were like... If this were like a TV series or something, we'd get a whole episode with just that backstory. Yeah, <laughs> that dude, dog. Listen up, Shutter, Justin Martell. If you're out there, maybe you can produce uh, Curse to the series for Shutter. <laughs> Curse to the bite. You heard it here first. Uh, so I gotta ask. Curse to the bite, the series. The series, yeah. I'm. I fuck you. Sign me up, man. I I will watch that shit. Uh, so do you know why? Yeah. Do you know why I keep calling uh, uh, Jimmy Farr's character Klinger? 
Um, no, because when I looked him up, the only thing in his entire like IMDb that I re- recognize is that he's Ebenezer Scrooge and Scrooged with Bill Murray. <laughs> what? I d- I didn't know that. Uh, no, I, I didn't either. Now, now I do. So no, the reason I keep calling him Klinger is because that's what he's most famous for. Um, is Klinger the cross-dressing uh, soldier from the from Mash, the TV series? That's right. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't. I, I remember like Mash being on my grandparents' TV when I was growing up. So like I've seen an episode of Mash or several, but I just I wouldn't have recognized that character. So that's really funny yeah. that he's in this movie. Like they always. These movies that we talk about have the most random casting sometimes. They do, but it's funny that like that right there just kind of shows like the the little minor generational gap between you and I. Like, cause I I grew up on fucking Mash, so when I watch, you know, when I first saw yeah. when I first saw Curse Two, like I was like, oh hey, Klinger, but like then somebody like your age, who's only like you know what, uh, maybe you're le- you're less than ten years younger than me, right? I think. I I turned the big three zero this year. Okay, so, yeah, okay. So you're seven years younger than me, but it's funny. Like a mere seven years, and you're like, I have no idea who the fuck he is. It makes a huge difference. I mean, that's like there's there's like kids, there's like kids, kids these days. There's people now that are like only like twenty. They're only like ten years younger than me, and they're like, I've never heard of this. I can't even think of an example, but they haven't heard of things that are like part of, were part of my like daily life that are just embedded into my brain. Right. So I'm starting to experience that for the first time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of an odd feeling. Yeah. All right. So, uh, well, let's, uh, we'll, we'll save, uh, we'll save Jill Sholin for last. Cause this, even though it's her month, that means that we can, okay. you know, go through everybody else first and then, you know, rest on her. Uh, so what did you think of, uh, J. Eddie Peck, who played our, our, our literally our, our main character of Clark. So I, mm, he's not the best actor. No, no offense. Sorry if he's listening. He <laughs> had the look. He looked great. He was very cute, and he and he's he's charming. Like there were moments, like there were some really cute moments between him uh, and Jill Sholin at the beginning, like before everything gets fucked up. Right. That I thought were really nice. Um. And, and, and I think once, once he started like mutating and stuff and, and like, especially in that, like that final sequence where he's just all fucked up, I, I really started to like feel for him. So I think his performance was a little bit more sympathetic. So like, I don't want to just say he's a bad actor. It's just, there were some very funny line readings uh, early on in, in the movie, but in general, I think as a character you know i think he's he's a decent enough protagonist i guess he kind of it's weird that he's like the protagonist and the antagonist at the same time like i feel like it's it starts to go in a direction where you think like oh i guess jill is gonna be our our main character but then they didn't like quite do enough with her to make it that so that'd probably be like one of my only complaints about it I think I do think it is very funny. One of the funniest parts is uh, when he just casually is like, "Oh yeah, I think it's totally justifiable for that guy to uh, kill and eat his wife because she cheated on him. Because what else would you do?" Oh my god! Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't even. I don't even want to go there yet. 
We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, I want to talk about that more when we talk about Jill's character, but I did just want to point out that that was a really hilarious scene. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. He's not, not a great actor uh, by any means. He's serviceable. I think that's the best word to use is he's a serviceable enough actor. Uh, I don't think he's got necessarily the chops right. to be a leading man, but I know he's not a, not a, like... He's not. He's not Tommy was so so. But uh, but the the one thing he definitely had going for him is motherfucker is man pretty. That's for sure. Like that was a good look. Oh yeah, that's a good yeah, looking man. He had had the hair, everything. Yeah, yeah, um, he's real cute. So, you know, he he at least he had that going for him. And like you said, once he starts mutating a little bit, um, I don't know. He he was up and down for me with with how I felt about him. But once he really really got sick, like in the last like. 15 minutes of the movie. That's, that's where I feel like he shined. Yes. Agreed. And I mean, I guess, I don't know if that's more of a testament to his performance or to the amount of special effects that were globbed onto him, <laughs> but there were definitely, and, and that's mostly a joke. I really, I do think like specifically there's like, a, like, the, like one of the final shots of him uh, when he kind of like is quote unquote, like just himself for a moment, like before he gets stabbed with the pole, he, it's really sad. Like it actually was kind of sad. I was like, Oh man, I like forgot for a second that you're a human. You've been like puking up snakes for the past 10 minutes. Right. And I forgot that you're just some guy who <laughs> had no idea any of this was going to happen. All right. Let's, uh, wait, we'll, we'll bring him up probably a little bit more when we start talking about Jules Sholin. Uh, let's, let's move on to, uh, yeah. Jimmy Farr's character, cleaner's character of, uh, the doctor. Yeah, he he's pretty funny. Like, I think he's he's a pretty charming addition to this movie. I mean, we've already kind of talked about his his subplot isn't as cool as you and you or I would want it to be. But that being said, I think he he adds he adds some some funny moments. And uh, I almost feel like in a lot of ways for at least a, a big portion of the movie, we're actually like with him like he's almost like our pseudo protagonist yeah. for a little bit because we just kind of stay with him while he's trying to figure out where these guys went so he can give him the antidote and he doesn't even know that this dude is like turning into a snake monster so i i do like that i love all of his interactions with the other guy at the hotel played by sydney sydney lasik 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 i think you say it lasik i biffed that one but we're gonna we're just gonna keep going we're full speed ahead it's too late to turn back now. now. Um, he is very funny. Yeah, nothing's going to stop us now. He's very funny. He has some really great... It's like... It's similar to kind of what we kept saying during Popcorn is that I just wanted more out of some of these side characters. They they focused a lot on, on like Jill and the doctor and the guy, the snake boy. I'm just going to call him Snake Boy from here on out. And they focused a lot on them. And while, you know, while the doctor is pretty funny and interesting on his own, like the other two characters just weren't that and weren't interesting enough to really carry this movie. So I think it would have been it would have been nice if we'd seen some some more of those folks from the hotel. So, yeah, Sydney, Sydney Lassick being one of them. He had some very funny interactions with the doctor. So my feelings on uh, Jamie Farr's character, uh, which I don't even remember his fucking name in the movie. I just, I'll just keep calling him doctor, the doc. Um, so as, as much as 
Yeah, I just keep calling him Dr. Yeah, Q. So I, as much as I did enjoy him in this movie, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say I didn't like his character. I did enjoy seeing him. I feel like he is in, in a completely different movie. Yeah, that's fair. He's so, uh, to, and this is just to me, but he feels like completely out of place and like a different character in a different movie. Uh, very like, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to yeah, say slapsticky, he... but very goofy. Like he, he's, he's almost playing. Yeah. Uh, he, it's not that he's playing Klinger from MASH, but he's, he's playing that sensibility of, uh, hey, old buddy, old pal, goofy, fun loving kind of dude. And when you, when it transitions to, to Jill Sholin and, and, uh, and J. Eddie Peck's characters, they're much more like serious and, and a, and a completely different movie. Like Jamie Farr is kind of in a, uh, a pseudo comedy while everybody else is in a fucking horror movie. Yeah. And it's not a horror comedy. Like that's the weird. Yeah, it's not, it has a couple of funny moments, but it's really, it's playing it straight for most of the whole movie otherwise. And that's why you're right. Like those scenes with him are, if I recall correctly, pretty much the only ones with any comedy in it. And he's playing it like he's he's in a sitcom. Yeah. Like he yeah. just bumbled his way. Like even his sub, even his whole plot is a sitcom plot. It's like, oh, whoops a daisy. I switched the antidotes. Gotta go find yeah. him. And then, you know, at the end of the half hour, he wraps it all up and everything goes back to normal. But and so that's how he he's like the stakes feel so low for him because, you know, like you kind of already know that that snake boy is just fucked and so the antidote isn't going to help him so his whole like quest is just futile <laughs> so i uh every night when i get in bed i watch three's company before i fall asleep right so that's that's just who yeah. i am and you're so fucking right he is jamie farr is playing it up like that character is straight out of an episode of three's company like he accidentally gave Jack or Janet yeah. fucking like the wrong medicine. And now he's got to team up with Mr. Furley to figure out where they are, if they're at the Regal Beagle or not. Because we've got to <laughs> give them the goddamn new, the right antidote. Like that's what it comes across as. It's so silly. And it's like, I feel like it's one of those things that as I was watching it, I didn't. You know, and I'm watching it for the first time also. So, like, I'm really just trying to take it all in. And I'm not really... It didn't really register how goofy that whole subplot was. I kind of was just along for the ride. <laughs> like, now, talking back with you, I'm realizing how strange that plot was in this movie. Like, it just makes it seem a, a bit a bit messier now. <laughs> <laughs> but, and again... I'm, I say that with love. Same, same, that's what I was about to say. Like, I, I'm in no way saying that I might be sitting here saying that he was straight up like being in a sitcom and while it was a horror movie. Yes, that's exactly what it felt like, but I'm in no way saying that it's really bad. Like it's, 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 uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's endearing. Maybe is the word. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's good. It is endearing. It's, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's kitschy. It's cute. It's fun. I don't know. It just adds something because otherwise like this movie already kind of feels like it was just like a little blip on the radar and kind of just came and went, went straight to straight to VHS, uh, sold some stuff and just kind of like lived on the shelves of video stores from there on out. But it, you know, it, it's still, 
it's got its charm. It's still pretty cute. And I think that I think if it didn't have if it didn't have like these more interesting or charming, like funnier, like if it didn't have this ridiculous sitcom subplot, then what would there even be to talk right. about except for like the last 15 minutes with all the snakes? Well, you know, he, Jimmy Farr's character, the doc, he, you know, he is fun and you know, it is a ridiculous subplot. However, you know what is not technically fun? That is uh, Bo Svensson, who plays the sheriff. Bo Svensson is just a mean, he's a mean ass, honorary motherfucking sheriff in this movie for no good goddamn reason either. either. Like he's just, he's somebody somebody pissed in his cornflakes and he is out, he is out for revenge because he is just chewing up the fucking thing. He's chewing that scenery like a $2 steak and he is fucking kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, he is so mad. He is angry as if it's like the day before he's set to retire and now he's got to deal with all these fucking snakes. Like, but but that's never established, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, I feel like at any moment, at any moment, he's going to look to like his deputy and be like, I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. I was waiting for some sort of comment like that because it really, like, he really just was so mad and so aggro, like, the whole time. And it's pretty funny. I also really appreciate that his character's name is just The the Sheriff, sheriff, not Sheriff Jones or Sheriff Walker. He is just The Sheriff, the only sheriff. It should be, like, Sheriff Billy Badass because that's what the fuck he was. Yes, um and i just found out that he is the reverend in kill bill volume two yeah. and i'm very excited about that because i was like i know i recognize this guy and kill bill volume two might be one of my favorite movies of all time so i, I i'm sad that i didn't immediately make that connection but i'm very pleased to to, to read that so uh i'm going to uh, wax poetic just uh, just like for a, a split second about uh bose events and so he's a you know i said earlier al fan who plays these the second creepy gas station guy was in basically like every like an episode of every show ever made from like 1970 to like 2000 uh bose venson also is like this huge television actor very popular in in the in the 70s and 80s um he you know he, he's kind of like a good old boy and he was in, also in a lot of television movies a lot of uh a lot of action stuff like that. He's probably most well known to the general public as playing uh, uh, in the Walking Tall sequel movies, uh, the original ones, of course, not the one with The Rock. Um, mm-hmm. And also, he was in. This is where I get a little nerdy. Uh, he was in the original uh, Italian uh, Inglorious Bastards, which, when Tarantino remade the movie, I, yeah, oh, cool. when Tarantino remade the movie, he actually bought Bo Svensson in for like a, a cameo. So. That's my uh, that's my brief little little oh that's awesome little fun talk about uh, Bo Svensson. but yeah he plays just a just a hard nosed nail biting asshole of a sheriff and again it's for no reason and I found it so weird that you know when he runs into our our main characters uh, Lisa and Clark um, like he like he like pulls him over or whatever and like he suspicions something so he immediately wants clark to take the bandages off of his arm which is you know folks this is the arm that is mutating into a snake so clark doesn't want to you know unveil this and this sheriff is just so fucking mad that he is not taking these bandages off that he arrests him 
and throws him in the back of the car and just is being yeah. a dick. I'm just like, on what on what earth is that going to happen? Like, you're being arrested because you're not taking your bandages off. Yeah, I don't I I don't know if he like if he like thought that. I don't know. I feel like I read somewhere when I was like rereading the plot synopsis that they like suspect that he might be like a drug addict and like the bandages are hiding like his that his like track marks or something. But it's just so just like, is he doing anything else to make you suspicious? Like, I guess he was acting a little sketchy, but it, it it's so funny that it, it escalated so I mean, quickly so like, quick. to just being arrested for not taking your bandage off. Yeah, you're right. You're right about the drug thing, because he says something about um you know, we're right here at the border of Mexico and something about drugs. I can smell drugs from a mile away and you smell like drugs or oh. something like that. I don't know. But yep. He's just being sketchy. Been, uh, I, to me, I feel like. Go ahead. I, I feel like he's just, I don't know. He's just like, uh, he's like your stereotypical like cop on a power trip. I don't even think he had any real reason to be sketchy of these guys. He just was like, I don't know. I'm bored and I'm going to pull them over and they're acting kind of weird. So, hey, you we're kind of close to Mexico. Are you sure you're not smuggling drugs? <laughs> Which is the natural leap in logic. He is borderline Arlie Ermy from uh, the Texas Chancellor Massacre remake. Like he is, he is borderline yeah. like that bad of yes. a sheriff. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty accurate. He's slightly less, he's less, he's a little less, um, utterly terrifying he's a little bit less terrifying <laughs> that guy but but the the vibe is but he's there. also he know he's a little bit less terrifying but he's also a little less um not as charming either like he like i said he's he's right on that fine line yeah of he's just an asshole and he's not really like even though he kind of ends up like helping save the day at the end i still don't feel like he really redeems himself and being that that jerk yeah because i really don't feel like he did anything like i don't even remember i don't even think it was was it him who like fires the 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 final shot of no. the movie, or was it just one of his deputies? So uh, spoilers, it was. Uh, so the- oh right, that's right. It's yeah. So, but what was weird? I noticed there was some weird wonky editing at the end because um, right before the giant monster snake gets ready to bite Joel Sholin, um, the uh, the deputy raises his shotgun and aims. But then like, there's this weird quick cut to Jamie Farr with a shotgun pulling the trigger. Oh. Yeah, it was really <laughs> I didn't even so notice weird. that. Uh, but no, um, we were talking about Bo Svensson, did he even do anything? He was uh, pulling uh, Jill Sholin's character out of the mud. Like he had the rope and he was like trying to pull her to safety That's away right. from the giant mutant snake. All right, so you know, let's let's go ahead and roll into it. Uh, let's let's talk about Jill Sholin. Oh, Jill, okay, <laughs> I love her so much. She is like the saving grace of this movie for me. I think she is she's so charming. She is so fun to watch. Like she just, I mean, I don't know. She's she's just really pretty and charming and funny and interesting. I don't know. I just liked her. I thought her character was like kind of a bitch at the beginning a little bit, but we'll, you know, I'll talk about that in a, in a little bit, but that that's more just a writing thing and not anything about, I think Jill did at the absolute best uh, that she could with, with yeah. the script that she was given. So I will say this, Jill Sholin is a fucking smokehouse in this movie. Like 
She yes. is babelicious in this entire fucking movie. Even when she's uh covered in fucking mud at the end, like crawling through thick mud, like damn girl. Yeah. Um, but yes, I thought it was hilarious while watching this today. I'm like, fuck, you know what? I picked Jill Sholin as a spotlight month for us. And the two fucking movies that I end up picking of hers are the two movies of hers where even though she's technically the lead, she isn't given a whole lot to do. I know. I That was another, I was like, it was so unfortunate. And I mean, I, I, we'll talk about it a little more later. Well, that's not that much to talk about. I, there was less info available online about the, the production of this movie. So like last time with popcorn, we talked about how tumultuous that set was and how they had to, they fired their lead actress like three weeks into production and brought Jill in. And they had to just do a bunch of pickups with like her acting with no one and, and kind of editing it in later. So that's kind of why I think maybe her character and popcorn didn't really have a whole lot to do but this one there's no excuse that i know of it like they really she really just kind of like just drove around and was like i don't know i just don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i I just wish there was more for her to do it's not that she doesn't do anything she is you know i'm missing every fucking scene she is our our technically our, our, our leading lady uh there's just not a lot of depth to her character However, however, let me just say this. I'm going to go on record as saying the scene where her and her boyfriend, okay, her name is Lisa, you know, our our guy with the mutating snake hand is Clark. When they go to fucking country ass saloon redneck bar and they're up in that fucking thing and this good old boy redneck guy grabs her and takes her out in the dance floor and she just goes right along with it. There's no goddamn qualms about it. She's actually loving it. She's out there bumping and grinding with this fucking redneck on the dance floor while Clark is sitting at the bar drinking a beer with a with a fly in it. All right. And yet and knowingly drinking a beer with a fly in it. Yeah. And then like they get done dancing and she like is walking with this redneck. Like, I feel like they're like, he's got his arm around her. Like, the redneck's got his arm around her. And, like, as they walk back towards the bar. And then Clark just has enough. And he smacks, he smacks Lisa, Jill Sholin. And I am not an advocate for for hitting a woman at all. Okay, folks? I do not condone (laughs) violence like that. However, the bitch kind of had it coming. First of all, let's rewind. Let's just recap his day yes. really quick. He has to shoot a snake in the head for trying to attack his girlfriend. They then run over like million. 200 yeah. snakes in the middle of the fucking road. Then he gets bit by one of the snakes that's like creeped into his car. And then he gets like this antidote. So then they're like, oh shit, he's going to die. He gets an antidote. And if you even if you don't know like a single thing about medicine or anything like that, like I I really don't even know how like antidotes or anti-venom works, but I do know that like sometimes if you go to get like a vaccine, for example, you might feel a little like sore, a little tired. You might feel a little icky for like a few hours afterwards, maybe even a day. And he's like, Hey, I really don't want to go to this bar. Like I had, I have a headache. I really don't feel good. And she's just like, well, whatever, let's go listen to the music. It'll make you feel better. And she just like drags her boyfriend to this like country crowded country bar where he is visibly, 
clearly not having a good time. And I think like in a healthy situation with like a, maybe a healthier couple and maybe if they're, if they're both having a good time and somebody wants to dance with the girl and the guy's cool with it and she, and it's, that's literally just it. It's just dancing. Then go for it. Be my guest, have fun, have a great time. But the fact that like, she's just like, you're being so boring and lame. I'm gonna go dance with this guy. I'm having a blast. And then she just like goes and has the time of her fucking life while her boyfriend's like drinking flies at the bar and like visibly ill is just hilarious to me. Like that is really that that made me uh, not like her character very much. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, yeah, you know, she didn't deserve to be fucking smacked. I mean, but I'm not gonna lie when I say i bust out fucking laughing when he fucking did because you're right she well it, she flies across the fucking room <laughs> like it's hilarious <laughs> like i'm laughing again because i just visualize it i mean like it's like a, it's like a comedy skit like bitch goes flying <laughs> it's pretty slapsticky like it's pretty comical um and it did yeah so with that i'm like yeah she's but fine. you're right she's being like the worst <laughs> it's gonna get a lot worse later like 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 him, him at this point for the rest of the movie, him slapping her is the least of her fucking worries when it comes to right. him. So I'm gonna say not, 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 not top on my top priority of issues here. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she's not. Man, I hate saying this. She, she is not the most well liked. She's not a likable character that much. I mean, there, there's moments that she is, but yeah, moments like this, like she's yes. not. She's a terrible girlfriend. She knowing like he like like you said he doesn't want to be there, and what's even crazier is when they pull up to this weird western saloon redneck bar like there's this group of rednecks that surround their car that's like trying to provoke them, and she still wants to go in, and the guy that she decides to dance with is one of those guys, and this is and she knows all of this, and she's doing yeah. it in spite of him, and then like you know she's being very flirtatious with this guy while they're dancing. And then she allows him to have his hands all over her when they're done dancing and they're walking to the bar. And then she's mm -hmm. shocked that her boyfriend is fucking pissed. Come on. Yeah. And then later, you know, later they cut to a scene where it looks like it, it's clear that they've been arguing in the hotel for a while after this whole incident takes place. And she's like, she's like mad yeah. at him. First, I mean, okay, let me rewind. I, can understand why she would be mad that he slapped yeah. her, but that's not what she says. She's not like, I can't believe you would lay like that would make sense if she's like, look, I know I was being shitty, but you that doesn't give you a right to lay your hands on me. Like that would have made perfect sense. But she doesn't say anything. She doesn't even react to it. She's just like, oh. And then later she's like, you're stifling me. Like I don't make I, my life doesn't revolve around you. Like I have plans. Yeah. And I'm like, you have you've known this guy for like three weeks and you just went on like a road right. trip, a romantic road trip alone. And now you're mad because your boyfriend wants you to spend time with him on the trip that you guys took together. So that, that's okay. where it really comes down to some weird, <laughs> weird fucking writing because yeah, yeah they, they've been, they, she literally says they've been together for three weeks and that you don't own me. And I'm just like, this is a really odd thing to put in the script because it doesn't play off and it doesn't, it doesn't play out later. Like this does, there's no payoff to them only being together right. for three weeks. Matter of fact, it, it lessens the impact of what's happening. 
because I, I know it sounds weird. Yeah, because honestly, because you can just be like, oh, whatever, fuck this guy. I've only known him three. He turned into a snake. Yeah. Well, good thing he wasn't the love of my right. life that I've known for right. years. It's so weird. Like that, there's no payoff, and it just it, it lessens the impact of him turning into the well, his his arm at first turning into you know horny mutant snake monster. Mm-hmm. Um. I agree, and I think they don't even... I don't even think those two characters speak to each other after a certain point in the movie. Like, the, like yes, he's chasing her for, like, a lo- for like the whole last sequence, but, like, I think w- w- there's a point where they kind of separate, and then other than him chasing her and them kind of, like, crying in the direction of each other at the end, <laughs> there's right. no, like, there's no resolution. There's no, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I was so mean. I'm so sorry. Like, like you'd think... It would have, I would have liked if, um, and you know, this is getting very nitpicky with this movie and the script and stuff, but I, you know, it would have been cool to, to see that she maybe had even like an ounce of remorse or at least self-reflection on maybe her part in, in some of their conflict. And maybe at the end she would have like felt maybe some guilt that, you know, it's not her fault that any of this right. happened, but just guilt of how she treated him on the same day that he turned into a mutant snake monster. I think, I mean, 100% that's what should happen, but I think that's also asking a lot when you look at who wrote directed this movie yeah. because this was technically written and directed by a first-time, first-timer. So there's, there, like, I said, like yeah. I said way earlier, there was some choices made that, not necessarily the best choices, um, but real quick, let's go into this. Katie, mm-hmm. what is your favorite scene of Curse 2, The Bite? Okay, I I have two answers. Um, the 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 one there's like the the horror movie version, and then just like the silly version. The, so the silly version is uh, I love this the whole like the first scene with that convoy of truckers where they're all on the radio talking <laughs> to each other. That is just so funny and and charming, and it really doesn't have anything to do with anything, and it's pretty out of place. But I'm glad that it exists because it made me laugh and it put a put a smile on my face in these dark times. So I appreciate it for that. Um, and then my other favorite scene is I I it's my favorite because it's also the one that grosses and freaks me out the most, and it's when he vomits a in a sack of baby snakes onto. The, the windshield of the car, I was just screaming at the TV. That is like the mo- one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life for some, I don't know why that just like made me like body horror in general, like really freaks me out. And I, I'm not actually scared of snakes. I actually like snakes. I think they're really cool, but I don't, I don't want, I don't, seeing like a bunch of them together really freaks me out and seeing like a bunch of baby snakes like covered in slime like drop out of this dude's mouth onto the windshield was just so gnarly. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. So I usually when, you know, when it would come to my favorite scene, it would, it would usually be that. And that was, that's close to my favorite scene is that whole puking up of the snake stuff. Um, however, I'm going to go with uh, horny mutant snake hand monster finger bang scene. <laughs> of course you are. Of so, course. <laughs> no scene. I mean, well, there's, there's plenty of scenes, but ha- there's not many scenes. Let's, let's put it that way. That can be pretty sexy, hot, and then also fucking under, like, creepy crawly under your skin feeling. Like, so 
Jill Schoen Yeah, that was very confusing yeah. to watch. So Jill Schoen's driving. He's in the passenger seat. Um, she, you know, she's wearing like some. Like she's wearing like a skirt or something. I, I don't know. Like there are so many shots of her legs in this movie. Yeah, I think she I will have to. I, I'm going to congratulate the director yes. and, and and the DP on this movie for for all the shots of uh, Jill Schoen legs. But uh, she's driving. <laughs> and you know she's she's got her you know her bare legs are sticking out and like he just takes his uh his bandaged hand and slides it up her legs or thighs and then goes into regions uh unknown and we we as the audience know that that hand is not a normal hand anymore that it's like a it's that it's, a, that it's like his hand is now the, the like the head of a giant mutant snake monster and that that thing is down there with its slithering tongue I don't know dude. Like, it's it's a pretty fucking gnarly scene. I hate it so much. I so I. What's really funny? The two things that are really funny about that scene to me: one, um, that his hand is covered, like he's got this nasty bandage hand (laughs) on, and she's just like, "All right, let's go." Like that's just disgusting. Like, look. Like, take the mutant snake out of it. That nasty, just the sight of that <laughs> nasty, half-assed, wrapped bandage around his hand reaching over her to her thigh. I was like, no way. He's not. So that's how I know this is written by a man, because no woman would let that nasty fucking bandage near her nether regions. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> the other, the other funny, the other funniest thing about this scene is the absolute just soulless look on his face that whole time yeah <laughs> like it is the most uninspired like finger bang I- he's got <laughs> the look on his face looks like uh like somebody that's like super drunk pissing their, their pants yeah like he is just not he's just not there <laughs> Which actually is really funny because like, so you start to get the, I kind of just had this epiphany. Like you, you start to, it starts to become clear as the movie progresses. And as his mutation gets worse, it's clear that his hand has a bit of a mind of its own. Like the hand is killing people. He's not killing people. He wants to stop and the hand won't stop. And like, he tries to even like fuck with his hand and it moves out of the way and stuff. So like clearly his hand has developed some sort of sentience and it almost is like, he's just staring off at the like what if he doesn't even notice what he's doing like he's just staring off the window like enjoying the scenery on this road trip meanwhile his hand is just like snaking over like let me just see what's going on here <laughs> there there was a you know like like we said jamie farr is is in a is in a comedy sitcom and everything else is like a, a body horror type movie but there you see flash soft yeah porn. and scenes like that there was so much room for comedy that could have I'm glad they didn't because it is like, again, it's kind of a, it's a gross scene. Yeah. Uh, but there's so much shit they could have done with that. I agree. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's a, that's, that's a good scene to pick. Cause that's definitely one of the, what the fuck moments of that movie. Yeah. Like I said, you know, the, the director, the, I, I don't, I don't know what, what he was looking for, what he was uh, going for with this movie, but let's go ahead and talk about, uh, what was it? Uh, Fred Goodwin, a.k.a. Frederico Prosperi, an Italian writer, my first time yes. and only time uh, writer and director, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. 
I think, actually, no. I think I'm back. I just, yeah, just, I don't think he's been. No, I think he, I, I think I'm back. I think if, if I'm if I'm wrong, look it up for me. But I'm pretty sure he. This was his only directorial I'm movie. But he wrote this and and another movie called Wild Beast. But I could be fucking wrong. Yes, that is correct. He he is a well. So he wrote Curse Two. He directed Curse Two, and then he's only credited as a producer on okay. Wild Beast and Curse Two, and that's it. So it looks like uh, my dude hasn't worked since nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, because I've seen the movie Wild Beast. I remember seeing so. that name. I I just couldn't remember if he if he wrote it or if he produced it. But I knew that that name had something to do with that movie. It's one of those uh, wild animal goes yeah. amok type movies classic um yeah you know i thought that as you know, for for it being a first time director like that's kind of cool because while while the writing is a little lackluster and there are some like wonky editing moments i also think there were some really nice like like visually interesting moments too and like i Again, I unfortunately couldn't find a lot of information online just about like the production of this movie, so it's hard to say what's the director versus right. like the the director of photography's input. Um, but there were definitely some really nice shots. Like there's a shot where uh, at the beginning when they're at the gas station and right before they find the snake dog, and he like goes down to look for the mm-hmm. bathroom, and he's standing in front of this like like kind of dilapidated like wood door and there's these beams of light shooting in and like getting lit up by like all the dust and kind of like fog in the air and it's just really pretty like it just looks really nice and so that was kind of pleasantly surprised at like how I feel like I feel like it the direction wasn't that bad like there there were definitely some like good moments so like to know that this was a first time director like it's actually not that not that bad if you consider no, that i'll totally hand it to them um you know did a serviceable a serviceable job i keep i keep saying that tonight serviceable um yeah. so no but not a bad job at all and especially for a first time filmmaker however i'm going to go back to what i said way earlier about uh remember i kept saying lost in translation you know this is uh from what I can tell, from mm-hmm. what I from what I personally know, this was an, an Italian movie production with an Italian director, which uh, yes. that's why I, what's what I kind of mean by a loss in translation. And I and I think I did this when I was talking about Howling Part Two, and when I was referring to uh, like Troll Two. You got this director who we don't really know anything about, but as far as we know, usually when an Italian director uses uh, an Americanized name. As his, as his pseudonym, that's usually a good indicator that this dude is like straight up Italian. Uh, so I, I got a feeling that, yeah, oh, yeah, I got a feeling there's like a Claudio Fragasso type, type of deal going on here where dude might not have spoken maybe the best English and probably couldn't convey across exactly maybe what he wanted for certain things. Maybe that's why certain moments came across wonky. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why certain moments seem out of place maybe that's why jamie farr is in a fucking three's company episode and we're watching uh you know a david lynch episode i don't i don't know but um you know yeah. I, I, like i said i'll hand it to him first time director good job i mean jesus christ it's, it's actually kind of sad that this was his yeah. one and only uh writing directing gig because i think this guy could have gone on to, i mean i don't even know if he's still with us maybe he maybe he's no longer with us but um yeah, I, I can't I can't really find any info on him, unfortunately. We should maybe uh, maybe for uh, for next year, you and I should team up and try to do a documentary about this guy. 
Yes, let's do it. I want to know about his life. Like, I really want to know. Like, I'm I'm always, it's always kind of sad. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be inherently sad, but you, one can't help but find it sad if, if you go to someone's IMDb and it's like they did one thing and then never worked again. And it's very possible that he had a great time and just was like, you know what? Filmmaking ain't for me. And he went on to live a long and, and happy life doing something else. That is what I hope happened. Um, but, you know, sometimes... Sometimes it doesn't go that way. So I, I hope I hope it was positive. I hope it's a good reason that he didn't he didn't work again. Um, but yeah, I thought he did. A, I thought he did a really good job. Um, and, you know, I, I, I also since I did call out the, the cinematography, I did want to just give a shout out to the cinematographer whose name I am certainly going to butcher because he is also Italian. So I am apologizing ahead of time. But it looks yeah. like it's Roberto de Torre Piazzoli Piazzoli. Anyway, that was that's the most American thing I'm going to do all day. So, yeah, I I butchered it, but he he did a good job. I thought I thought visually this movie looked really looked really good. Like I thought most of the most of like it's a very you keep you keep using the word serviceable because it it, it applies. It makes sense. Like it's a very uh, acceptable straightforward right. movie. <laughs> Yeah, so if any of our listeners out there know any any kind of uh, information on Frederico Prosperi, aka Fred Goodwin, please hit us up at uh, you know Instagram. We can find us at Video Express Pod, and also on Twitter under the same handle, Video Express Pod. I want to know more about this director. I want to find out more about this guy. Find out why he didn't do more because same. again, he did a he did a good job for Serviceable. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and say that he probably did a little bit better than Serviceable for this movie. I mean it's. It's a it's a fun it's a fun yeah. late eighties uh, monster flick. So yeah, good job. Um, yeah, I think it's hard to it's hard to sometimes separate like the writing from the directing. Uh, but I think it, when you watch enough movies, you can kind of start to see the difference. And and I think that while I think a lot of the issues that this movie suffered from was bad writing, not necessarily bad directing right. and also the translation issues that you brought up so uh was was uh frederico aka uh, fred goodwin was he the only writer on this movie i don't recall so yes um there was another writer on this movie um her name was susan zaloof it looks like she is an actress and a writer and she was in she actually was in beyond the door three as miss chase i haven't seen that movie so i'm not sure if that rings a bell uh. for you and then it looks like she did some voice acting for a, a video game called Dreamfall, The Longest Journey, which I've never played, but it keeps showing up in my Steam recommendations. Um, so that's kind of a small wow. world thing. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't, I, you know, that's her only writing credit, actually. <laughs> now wow. that I look at it, she's mostly done uh, some TV, and she it looks like she hasn't really acted since like 2009. Wow. I kind of feel like that's a. Uh kind of telling about this movie that you've got uh technically two people two writers on this movie and neither one of them have any prior history of writing a movie so maybe that's maybe that's why yeah. some of the, the stuff is a little stilted you know especially with the the weird the weird love uh love thing going on like only being together for three weeks and that whole weird shit yeah, it actually it makes me like it a little more. It makes me it, it it kind of adds like a layer of of endearment to this movie, just knowing that it was kind of a first time endeavor for for a it lot of people. It makes me kind of wonder how they uh, how they got the job 
because um, so the the I believe it's the executive producer of this movie. I know I'm going to butcher this guy's name. Uh, a video asan asanitus asas as asanitus. I don't know. I'm just going to call him a asanitus. A video asanitus. Anyway, dude, dude yeah. has, is a producer yeah. of, of a lot of uh, genre films. I know he did the original Beyond the Door, which <clears throat> time out, folks. If you, we're, we're probably going to cover this movie in a, in a very near future episode of Video Express because um, Beyond the Door is a very, you know, there was a lot of popular Exorcist ripoffs in the '70s, but probably none were better than Beyond the Door. So I just want to throw that out there. But he, anyway, he was a producer of uh, Beyond the Door. Uh, he was also uh, a producer of uh, Madhouse. Which is another movie we'll talk about in a in a future episode, uh, Piranha Part Two, and of course he was also the producer of the first Curse movie, and um, that's kind of how we end up ended up with this movie, Curse Part Two. It's because uh, this this guy, this uh, video, he produced Curse, which again was a was a H.P. Lovecraft inspired movie starring a young Will Wheaton, and he produced he produced it, so he therefore kind of held the rights to the film. And I know he, you know, he hired uh, uh, Frederico to write and direct this movie under the title "The Bite." So this movie wasn't filmed under the title "Curse 2. It was actually filmed with just you know called "The Bite," which is going to be about a snake uh, and mutant snakes or whatever. And it wasn't until I guess closer to release or upon release they they change it to uh, an in name only uh, an in name only sequel, "Curse 2, The Bite." So other than that, though, I you know. I don't mm -hmm. know how how Frederico got the job. I mean, like I said, this is a video guy. He he produced all the Curse movies, so I don't know any behind the scenes knowledge. Yeah, I I'm not I'm not sure either. So yeah, I don't. This is yeah. I'm gonna repeat what you said earlier. Is that if anybody listening happens to know any other fun facts about about the making of this movie, like I I looked online and had a really hard time finding anything. I do know that there is a that Shout Factory, I believe, has a Blu-ray of the first Curse and this one on it. Um, but it was sold out everywhere. I couldn't find it, and I'm actually not sure if it has any like behind the scenes tidbits on it so i don't know if anyone has got their hands on that uh definitely hit us up on instagram or twitter at video express pod um and then the other i had a quick fun fact about uh, a, a video our, our producer here the first movie that he ever produced was in 1969 and the if you translate the italian name yeah the labyrinth of yes. sex <laughs> like i I, uh, I I've seen bits and pieces of that movie, and actually I can tell you I was 15 years old. Uh, it was a summer uh, that I turned 15. I have seen mm -hmm. bits and pieces of that movie. All right, well yeah, there, there you go, go. Labyrinth, Labyrinth of Sex. Of <laughs> so before before we move along, I also want to throw out. Um, so a video he 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 produced the first Curse movie, and then of course he went on as a producer of curse Two: the bite there was also i think a year uh two years later curse three blood sacrifice which is yet another in name mm -hmm. only sequel this movie had nothing to do with the first one had nothing to do with the third one and again, and again it was a movie that was originally filmed under the title blood sacrifice and then was slapped the curse title on uh, upon release but i want to throw out that not only does this movie star 
you know, because I just I literally just talked about Three's Company and how I love Three's Company. Not only does the, <laughs> does this star Jenna Lee Harrison, who played, uh, of course, Cindy Snow, not not Christy Snow, but Cindy Snow, uh, our our bumbling second blonde of of Three's Company, but it starred none other than Howling Two star Christopher Lee. I am obsessed with that fact, and now I feel compelled to watch Blood Sacrifice. Um, I don't want to get too into it, but is Christopher Lee like an actual main character in yes. this movie, or is he just kind of like? Oh no, honey, there? he's a, he's in it. All right, fantastic. Then yeah, I'm gonna be adding that to my list. And now. The, the cool thing it's 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 not it's it's kind of a somewhat poorly paced movie, um, but it still has fun moments in it. And then of course, I mean, you can't go wrong with Christopher Lee. Uh, but what's really cool about that movie is not only does it got Christopher Lee, not only does it have Cindy Snow from from Three's Company, who I think is one of the hottest blondes of Three's Company, um, but also the effects for uh, Curse Three was done by Chris Wallace, who was the uh, the badass who did, of course, uh, the Fly remake, Gremlins, Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah, cool. So uh, we'll definitely have to probably talk about that at a at a later time. He was also one of the uh, uh, creature uh, consultants, I think, on uh, Return of the Jedi, which is my uh, my favorite Star Wars movie. So we'll definitely talk about Curse Three, I'm Hell sure, yeah. in a later episode. But you know, since we're talking about effects, let's talk about the effects for our movie tonight, Curse Two: The Bite. The effects done by none other than one of the most creative geniuses in the field, Screaming Mad George. Katie, tell me what you thought about the makeup effects in this movie. Okay, I think if there is one reason to watch this movie, it is for the special effects. Like, these are some of the goopiest, most intense, like, really gross out there practical effects that I've seen in a, in a, in a long time. It was like, we got eyeballs popping out. We got people puking up snakes. We got dogs turning into snakes. We got snake hands growing out. Like, it's just so slimy and icky. And like this dude's like whole tongue just slides out of his face. And then his whole head snaps back in half. Like, it's so cool. It's just so cool. And, and I think, I think, you know, I don't know a whole lot about screaming mad George before I watched this movie and like looked up stuff about him, I, now that I'm looking at his uh, filmography, it's like, of course it's incredible. Uh, he, he's responsible for that fucking insane, like cockroach sequence in, uh, I believe it's nightmare on Elm yes. street four. So that's, that's like, that's yeah, the guy. <laughs> that's well, that's one thing. Uh, so screaming Matt George is, is very well known for uh, some of his, uh, like the surreal, um, like creature, like creepy, I, I, I'm gonna more. I'm gonna say creepy crawlies, because he he's basically yeah. an expert at creating um, bugs and roach giant roach creatures, uh, because he did the 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 roach the roach kill in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four. Um, he was also he was also the effects mm-hmm. guy who did two of my favorite unsung uh, sequels, Silent Night Deadly Night Part Four and Five. And I know a lot of people probably aren't familiar with Silent Night Deadly Night Part Four, but there's nothing but like ooey gooey bugs and giant roaches in that movie. And of course, he's responsible for all of that. Um, but I mean, this guy also did uh, Bride of Reanimator and The Gobber. It's like he has got a catalog. He is like 
much like some of the other effects Arasoff talked about, like he is somebody that should be talked about so much more because he, not only is he screaming mad George, but he's a screaming mad genius. And, um, I I believe he's originally from Japan. If I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he He was born in Osaka. He's a Japanese artist and dude is just like, so fucking creative. It's, it's ridiculous. But I also want to plug, it's his, I want to plug, um, I don't, you know, I, I love shitty sequels and you know this. So uh, another movie that he did effects on is uh, children of the corn part three which I love that fucking movie so much. And it has some of the most outlandish, what the fuckery, crazy effects in that movie. And this man handled it all. And that shit is amazing. And if you have not seen Children of the Corn Part 3, I'm telling you, fuck it. Drop everything. Doesn't matter if you haven't seen the first two. Watch Children of the Corn Part 3 just for the awesome, gooey, crazy effects in that movie. And also look out for a very young, uncredited first-timer Charlize Theron. Anyway, I digress. Oh yeah. wow, that's what that is so cool. Okay, I'm adding that to my list now because I I did want I want to point out a couple of other things from his filmography that I'm looking at that stand out to me. Uh, Society, which is yeah. one of the most batshit crazy special effects movies I've ever seen, and I actually I you know I've only seen it I've only seen it like once or twice just watching it. Um, with Joe Bob on the last drive-in, which is great. Uh, and it, it's that movie's insane. And so y- you'll also see that he did effects for Predator and Big Trouble in Little China. So like, I think the, the, the thread that's going through all of these movies is really, really out there creativity. Like, I feel like if anyone else had been tasked to do uh, like a, a mutant snake movie i feel like it would have been a lot more predictable right. like it, it probably could have still been cool but like the fact that like he thought like yeah we'll have his like eyeball pop out and then like his tongue slide out like it it very much reminded me of it reminded me of the fly and like reminded me of of just i don't know it's just like something about just that ooey gooey body horror. Like I think it takes a lot of creativity to really like think of ways to get under people's skin. And it, he nailed That's it. That's one thing I like about doing the show and, and the, and the movies that we've put on our list uh, to, to cover, you know, if you're talking about screaming Matt George, usually people are going to cover movies like you just mentioned, nightmare on Elm street Four, bride of reanimator, Giver, Big Trouble, Little China, stuff like that. But no, motherfucker, we are sitting here talking about Curse Two: The Bite. Saying, and then it's, it's. I'm not saying that yes. Curse Two is like some kind of hidden gem that needs to be discovered or rediscovered, or whatever. But I just, you know, it's just the point that somebody of the caliber of Screaming Mad George did the effects on this movie that nobody has really heard of or seen, and I think it just gives it another reason why it should get more attention that it deserves. Yeah, definitely. Like I think there's I think there comes a point in every genre fan's life when you just feel like you've seen yeah. it all. And even if you haven't, like I, you know, there's so many movies that I still haven't seen, including, you know, new movies, old movies, but you know, you get to a point where a lot of 
a lot of them start to kind of blend in together and you know you're just wanting to see something unique and something out there and so I really am loving being able to kind of like dig into the archive and just pull out these random movies that I I would have never found curse (laughs) to organically (laughs) like I curse to okay just a quick tangent like I couldn't even find it like it's not going to pop up on my Netflix recommendations I had to go to like Fandango now to like rent it and that's like the only place I could find it so it's just not like and I even tried I was like you know what I really liked having the blu-ray of popcorn um I think I'm gonna go ahead and just try to find a blu-ray of this and I literally couldn't find one like they were just sold out everywhere so uh, it's hard. It's hard. Definitely hard to come by. And I was just glad that it was streaming somewhere. But yeah, it's just nice to like have these. It's nice to be able to talk about these these random little gems that that would easily go missed right. otherwise. Well, um, Katie, go ahead and give me your final thoughts on Curse to the Bite. I feel like I like this movie. I don't know how much I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. I think it's the kind of thing, if I saw it on TV, I absolutely would would put it on and just enjoy it. I'm glad that I watched it. I think it's definitely worth watching, especially if you like special effects. And if if body horror like freaks you out which it, it freaks me out so like this movie definitely like got under my skin any kind of like transformation like illness venom kind of that sort of thing just like really unsettles me so i thought that was really effective um and yeah like once again the special effects are just absolutely bananas and if you're afraid of snakes maybe sit this one out or maybe you like being scared in that way so watch it but i you know i i think I, I I I doubt we will encounter a movie in this series that I I will say don't watch. Like I think I'm gonna encourage you to to check it out yourself, no matter what. Yeah. So um, it's funny you said you don't know if you'll ever watch it again unless you catch it on TV or something, which we know is probably not going to happen. It's not going to pop up on TV. And it's this, like I said, this is probably the tenth yeah. time that I've watched it. Uh, I saw it for the first time when I was probably like around ten years old. Caught it on late night cable. Uh, and of course, being the person that I am, I own this motherfucker on VHS. Um, so of, of course. course I'll be watching it again in the future. However, I, you know, I, I will, I will say that I don't think this is a movie for everyone. I think, uh, for mm-hmm. some people, it might be a tough sit. Um, there is maybe probably certain moments that some people might consider a slog. Um, I never get bored, but I can see where other people might get bored with certain moments. Uh, the pacing is a little slow. However, um, all I ask for people is to, is to definitely give it a shot. I think it deserves a shot. And if if for nothing, the the final thirteen minutes um, is well worth it. Absolutely, the, the last thirteen minutes is completely makes everything else worth it. The, like like Katie was saying, like the scene where he literally pukes up a uh, a like clear slimy fiscus fluid sack full of baby snakes and it's like it slops onto the windshield and they're slithering everywhere his tongue falls out and his tongue even starts slithering his eyeball his eyeball just slides off and like falls off and like slides down the windshield there's like giant gooey snake creatures coming out of him uh his head splits open and this giant snake creature comes out of his of his like neck it like i said the last 13 minutes also if you pause this movie just right oh, towards God the end it. of the movie 
Um, they're they're like they're sliding around in like this uh, mud pit or whatever, and Jill Sholin is trying to get out of the mud pit to get away from her half snake, half man, three week old boyfriend uh, who's turning into a snake monster. And if you pause it just right while she's crawling through the mud, her shirt rides up and you can see a good look at her butt. So of course you would point that out, but that is a beautiful segue into my next question, which I already know the answer to, but it's how does this rank on the TNA meter? There's really no T or a, except for that moment that you just highlighted, but you you said you think you already know the answer and you know me very well. What do you think my answer is going to be? I think your answer is going to be that. Hmm. I think that you like Jill Sholin enough that it's okay that there's no TNA in this movie. I think that her the shots of her legs make up. So for okay, it. yeah, you 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 know me well because uh, last episode uh, when we when we talked about popcorn, I said of course there's no nudity at all. That maybe there's no TNA, and I genuinely felt like that was okay. Like the movie didn't need it. You know, like I would have added some, it wouldn't need it. And in this movie, um, there is a lot of. There is a lot of teasing. Like there's a shower scene with Jill Sholin where you don't you don't yeah. see anything. Like there's so many like close-up shots of her legs and it's like, "Oh shit," but nothing ever happens. There's a lot of teasing. However, Jill Sholin is is a is a bomb a bomb diggity sexy woman. There's enough there's enough shots of her legs and there's the the muddy butt moment that you can pause. So I will give <laughs> I will give this movie a quarter star out of five on the TNA meter. Okay. I think that's fair. Quarter star out of five. I think that's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have anything else for, uh, for our lovely listeners on tonight's episode? No, I just, you know, wanted to say thanks again for listening. And I wanted to remind everybody that uh, we are on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at video express pod. So, you know, let us know what you think. Tell us more about this director and about this movie. If you got some fun facts, we want to know. And if you have any ideas of things we should be talking about in the future, like let us know. Also, what's your favorite snake movie? Let us know. (laughs) I'm a snake. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's all we have for this episode of video express. (laughs) We want to thank our sponsor lunch meat VHS lunch meat is your number one destination for the appreciation, celebration, preservation of VHS and video store culture. Check out their website at lunchmeatvhs.com and explore their store full of old school horror goodies on VHS apparel and much, much more. You can also follow them on Instagram at lunchmeatvhs. Yeah, thank you, Lunch Meat VHS. That is so rad uh, that they're that they're hanging out with us for this episode. And uh, yeah, just once again, wanted to thank you guys for listening. And yeah, just thank thank you. And if you have any, you know, if you have any thoughts on the show, we just want to make it better. We want to talk about the movies that you guys want to talk about. So yeah, hit us up. Yeah, be sure to come check us out, rent a movie with us, and we'll talk about it all night long. Until next time, just remember, please be kind to rewind, but most importantly. Just be kind. I'm Matt. And I'm Katie. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Video Express. Bye-bye.